latest edition of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseballs. So we got a kind of a different vibe, different feeling show for you this week. No Sam Dykstra, except for our interview segment, which is going to be a good one. And we'll tell you about who's coming up with the interview segment here shortly. So it's just me and uh, your good pal and mine, Benjamin Hill, to kick off this week's episode of the show. Ben, what's going on? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. We're separated by thousands of miles in 12 hours. Um you're in the future, I believe. So if you want to, uh, you want to pass pass along some hot tips regarding uh, anything that may have happened that we don't know that I don't know about yet, uh, that'd be good. You know, some Back to the Future two type action. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm going to get you a book of uh, of all things that you can wager money on, and uh, you know, eventually make your bajillions through doing that. And uh, we're on the same wavelength. I got you. But yeah, I am in uh, in Taiwan currently. I was in Panama last week. I was in Germany the week before that. But doing some more broadcasting stuff here, the U23 Baseball World Cup. Um, but you are uh, in New York City in the hub of MILB.com and uh, MLB Pipeline. And we are plugging along into the offseason. It's kind of weird that we're in the offseason now uh, with, you know, the Arizona Fall League going on and all that. But we're... Still, I feel like in that decompression era of the first like three weeks after the season ends, you kind of like just wind yourself down. But for you, that doesn't even really happen. You're you're still cranking stuff out from road trips and things that uh, you didn't get a chance to already get to the site. So you were getting to the site now. And uh, let's kick off some of the discussion about those. You got a story up uh, to get us started in this conversation from Oklahoma City, one of the trips you did this summer about uh, the unique path to the video director spot uh, for an Oklahoma City Dodgers front office member. Tell us about that when to get us started. Yeah, as you said, I'm going going back in time and uh, getting to the stories I uh, might not have had the time for during the season itself. And I guess that's my own form of, if not decompression, but just sort of clearing the slate to head into the offseason, you know, totally unencumbered. But October is a very weird time in minor league baseball, <laughs> um, for sure. Um, yeah, you're getting caught up with things. You're looking back. You're trying to stay focused. And uh, that's how I deal with it. Trying to write as much from the road as I can until that bag of tricks is totally emptied. So a uh, bunch of stuff on that front has recently arrived and coming soon. And like you mentioned, Tyler, one on uh, AJ Navarro. He does uh, video and game production for the Oklahoma City Dodgers. Uh, I talked to him when I was in Oklahoma City in uh, late July. So not too long ago. I mean, what is time? And um, he's got an interesting backstory. You know, I, working in baseball, there's a lot of people. And I don't know if the winter meetings job fair will come back. But, you know, you would see it at the winter meetings job fair. You know, 20, you know, largely males uh, in their early 20s, just still in college, a lot of them wearing ill-fitting suits, like, I want to get into this industry. I want to get into this industry. And I know it. I've known it my whole life. And I think that's maybe a stereotype you think of people who want to work in baseball is just trying to get in as soon as they can in any way they can. But it doesn't always work that way. And I like to tell stories, you know, where it doesn't work that way. And A.J. Navarro, guy grew up in Chicago. Um, his family was in the restaurant business, owned several restaurants, one of which was called... Um, shoeless joe's and he described it to me as the italian version of hooters which i just kind of liked as a restaurant description but he thought he was going to work in the uh restaurant business you know he said he had the red carpet rolled out for him to to do that and uh you know as it as it happens just decided no that's not for me what do i do he joined the navy he spent 
eight, nine years in the Navy, was an Air Force equipment man. They're not an Air Force, but a aviation equipment man. And, um, you know, spent the better part of a decade there. But in the meantime, he'd always loved, you know, film, video production. And he pinpointed one specific moment when he attended a Chicago Bears game in 2009. And they did um, player introductions on the video board that was interspersed with um, the movie 300. So it was a gladiator style video intro. And that to him was his moment. You know, who did this? How did they do it? Why did they do it? This is what I want to do. So upon coming out and getting out of the Navy, uh, he's tried to pursue a sports job, you know, got got kind of lucky in landing a, an internship at ESPN, which landed to a to a real job. Worked in Lakeland, Florida for the uh, Detroit Tigers spring training and Lakeland Flying Tigers games. And then uh, found his way to Oklahoma City, where he's now doing uh, video production, game production, you know, managing a lot of the promotional stuff, the in-game promotional stuff. And, um, you know, doing it after a path that most people don't take. And those are the kind of stories in the industry that, you know, I try to seek out. So, you know, props to him for finding his way to a dream job, um, taking the long route. But we often do take the long route to these dream jobs if we find them at all. Dreams are tough. Well, dreams are easy to have, hard to attain. But if you attain a dream, is it a dream? Then it's reality. I don't know. It's a very good point. Another very good point. There are always ill-fitting suits uh, at the uh, at the job fair. I don't know what it is. I don't know why anybody like in their early 20s can't get a suit that fits right. But I was one of those people. I didn't have a suit that fit right. Yeah, I didn't go that path. But I guarantee you, if I had, my suit would have been ill-fitting. Guarantee. <laughs> 1,000 to 1 odds. So, you know, when I, when I knock these dudes for their ill-fitting suits... Please know that yeah. I would have been. Opinion. Yeah, we're, we're admitting we're on that page with you. Um, you got a really cool story from Wichita as well. And I don't want to describe it. I want you to have to, to describe this story um, about uh, a really special member of the Wichita wind surge front office and uh, and the work that it has lent itself to in the community. Yeah, so Wichita, that was actually the same trip I was on with Oklahoma City. So, again, reaching back and reaching back into my uh road trip stash, uh, I met a man named Andrew Crane, uh, who is a ticket scanner at Riverfront Stadium, the home of the Wichita Wind Surge. I met him uh, the first night I was there. Um, he was man or manning the uh, like the left field corner entrance there. And Andrew was born blind and has uh, cerebral palsy. So obviously he's had a lot of challenges in his, in his life. And every time he works at the ballpark, um, he is accompanied by his guide dog, Vaughn. So it's just a unique story in and of itself to have someone, a blind person with uh, a guide dog, you know, working at the ballpark. But Andrew, beyond that, is super involved with the community, started his own organization, Guiding Paws ICT, you know, which is uh, how Wichitans, Wichitas, those from Wichita often refer to the city. That's also the airport code. Guiding Paws ICT. And through Guiding Paws ICT, he uh, tries to get people you know, blind people, people in need of a guide dog, a service animal, you know, connected with the right organizations and make sure they know the resources available to them to get a guide dog. And that was one part of the interview. Um, you know, I, it's hard to make convey it in in writing. But when I asked him about Vaughn, his guide dog, you know, his he, he lost his composure a little bit and, and, you know, had to wipe away some tears, just even just being asked that question, you know, what does this guide dog mean to you? So the fact that he's dedicated his life to, um, to be in service of blind and disabled people. Um, he's on the uh, ADA advisory board and uh, for the city of Wichita was involved 
uh, with Riverfront Stadium from the beginning, you know, having input on the handicap accessibility. And uh, you can find them at every Windsurge game with Vaughn uh, scanning tickets. So just you know, one of those people you meet uh, who's got an interesting backstory and is really dedicating his life um you know to to good causes and the service of others and and not letting you know, his obstacles uh make it so he cannot achieve a lot himself so good to meet that guy andrew crane and uh, finally get that story up about him that is on the site as well yeah really cool story about andrew that you can read at milb.com um we talk so often about the the unique characters that uh dot the minor leagues and really make the minor leagues what they are and one of those uh this is a nickname that i was not aware of for the MC of the Erie Seawolves uh, home game world, and that is Barnacle Barb, which for a pirate-themed team is a perfect name. Uh, what do we need to know about Barnacle Barb before we read your story about Barnacle Barb at MILB.com? Yeah, well, this is one from Erie, and uh, that was my last trip of the year in uh, mid-September. And Barnacle Barb is not so much a nickname as it is an alter ego. Uh, There's a woman named Kaylin Zielinski who got a job uh, at the start of 2021 as the team's on-field MC. Did a few games uh, as the MC, just, you know, as herself. And then went to the team and said, you know, she said, she told me, you know, she loves costumes, makeup. You know, it's a hobby of hers. And she went to the team and said, hey, if you let me do this, I don't have to be me, you know, when I'm being an on-field MC. I have this pirate character barnacle barb and so now there is barnacle barb at every single eerie seawolves game a uh, pirate uh, she was described to me as a sassy pirate who uh you know keeps the boys in check and uh doesn't need to pillage can just get her way by asking for it barnacle barb and um you know the eerie seawolves even though they've been a detroit tigers affiliate for over two decades they did begin in the new york penn league as a pittsburgh pirates affiliate and um so the Seawolf's name is, you know, Seawolf is kind of a slang term for a pirate. And to this day, there's still, you know, pirate imagery all around the ballpark. Um, and that, in a sense, dates back to the Pittsburgh Pirates affiliation. And now Barnacle Barb is uh, the on-field MC, a woman who's always in character. And I need to mention, when I was at the game, it was, to use my word, the penultimate home game of the regular season. There was a Barnacle Barb fan club in attendance wearing Barnacle Barb sh- uh, shirts and some of them were dressed as pirates themselves. There were also irreceivable staff members in Barnacle Barb t-shirts. These are not available for sale at the team store, but if you go to an eerie game and uh, look look out for Barnacle Barb, maybe you can find your way into uh, having your own Barnacle Barb t-shirt. So that was just another one, you know? I'm at a ballpark wandering around. There's a woman dressed as a pirate. My reper- repertorial instincts belatedly kick in. And I say, ah, I should find out who this pirate is and why she has a fan club. So uh, Barnacle Barb, that story, I think, is just now out on MILB.com. So, and there's there's going to be more where that, that came from. Also, Tyler, as an aside, I was just thinking how funny the Pittsburgh Pirates team name is because that dates back to the Pirates in the 19th century, or Pitt, the Pittsburgh, they were called the Pittsburgh Alleghenies. And they had a reputation for being pirates, like stealing stealing players from other teams and you know signing players who were signed to other teams and just stealing them and so they started to be called the pirates as like a derogatory thing and then eventually they just named their team the they pirates were just like now nah, we'll take that too yeah so if you think about <laughs> like the worst aspect of today's teams or what they get criticized for and then imagine if they were like you know what 
Fish is going to be our name going forward. Yeah. And it's a, it's a pretty funny thing. I, like I can think idea. of a few examples. Way to own it. Yeah, just own it. Own it. And then, uh, and talk about, uh, you know, completely muting or diluting criticism. You're like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's our name now. We are the Now what do you got to say? <laughs> All right, Ben, well, we are in the midst of the rollout of the uh, Marvel Defenders of the Diamond Initiative, which is uh, something that we talked about on the show last week, minor league baseball and Marvel collaborating on a three-year program, Marvel's Defenders of the Diamond, which will feature 96 different minor league teams across four levels, sporting Marvel-designed team logos and uniforms, all that type of stuff. Uh, We've gotten a sneak peek. And now a full peek at these logos. Um, your favorites are there ones that stand out to you as like, all right, that one I'm I'm digging. Yeah, well, there's we've gotten a lot of peaks, and there's still a lot more peaks to come. There's 96 teams participating in this, and the rollout's going to be slow and systematic all the way till November 18th, um, when purely coincidentally, I'm sure, you know, just in time for the holiday shopping season, they will all have been announced, and uh, I'm sure merchandise will be available. Um, so we've seen a bunch of them, several dozen already. My favorite, I'm a simple soul. I would go with the Stockton ports. I've always loved the Stockton ports, uh, how they lean into Stockton's history as the quote unquote, uh, asparagus capital of the world for years. They've had a uh, five o'clock doc, a sailor, you know, who works the ports holding a uh, piece of, a uh, piece of asparagus or a stalk of asparagus as an alternate logo. Um, they've done, you know, asparagus themed jerseys, asparagus concession items. Um, so I like that when they have a chance to do a Marvel themed alternate logo, they keep it with asparagus. And now they have five o'clock doc now fully transformed into a superhero, uh, you know, so more muscular, more lean, more, it looks like you can maybe even fly. Uh, and of course he's gripping some asparagus. So I like the the logos from this program and in general, ones that still tell a really local story because that's what I'm really looking for in this job as a whole is like what makes the teams unique. And so it's cool. Like the mascot now looks like a superhero, but does that tell me something about that place? Um, maybe not. I like the ones where you get an immediate uh, story behind it and something like Stockton works really well to me. Yeah, I think that is a a very good choice. Um, I really like the the Sugarland Space Cowboys logo, which honestly just looks like an alternate mark of their current logo. Um, but I think they did a really good job with that one. And there's one other one that I really dig. The Greenville Drive have a very simplistic, uh, almost like a it looks like a 1930s car hood ornament. And uh, I kind of dig that from Greenville, which I guess is the thought process behind Drive. But that's a cool one. You can go to MILB.com slash events slash Marvel, and you can check out all of those logos there and read up on the Marvel Defenders of the Diamond series and um, all that stuff continuing to roll out here over the, uh, the coming weeks up until November 18th as logos continue to be revealed throughout October and November. And uh, Benjamin Neal, you can find on social media. He's on Twitter at Ben's Biz, on Instagram at the Ben's Biz. And uh, thanks, man. We'll talk to you again next week. Yeah, good to talk to you, Tyler. How did you describe this uh, segment at the beginning? Was it different vibes? Yeah, um, something like that. Something yeah. like that. I See, can't remember how you phrased it, but yeah. in my mind, it popped into my mind as the title of a Kirk Van Houten self-released record. <laughs> like different vibes. <laughs> it's the uh it's the hit second single off of his album can i borrow a feeling 
Precisely. I knew you would back me up on that one. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, I apologize, but a lot of you do. If you don't know what you're talking about, we you need to up your early Simpsons seasons uh, appreciation, is what we're saying. Very much. Yeah, that's uh, always the message here. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, Tyler. Sam Dykes are swinging by with top St. Louis Cardinals prospect Jordan Walker, our nationwide road of the show ambassador. That's coming up next. Well, we're very excited on this week's edition of the show before the show podcast to be joined by top Cardinals prospects, the top prospect in the Arizona Fall League and a nationwide road to the show ambassador Jordan Walker joining us from Arizona. Jordan, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, so let, let's start in the fall league. I mean, you are there now. You've been there for about a, a week and a half, or at least games have been going roughly for a week and a half now. Um, you have four hits. Two of them are homers. You're, you're performing basically to expectations, which were pretty high coming in. What's it been like for you so far? It's been fun, man. Um, this whole week's been fun. A lot of these players are really good out here. It's fun playing with players from our organization. So we're with the Rockies, the Diamondbacks, um, the Blue Jays, the Tigers. Um, so, you know, it's it's a lot of fun out here um, getting to meet these guys, getting to meet, you know, the other organizations, guys. So, you know, I'm, all I can say is that it's been truly fun. Yeah, and you mentioned there being on Salt River, you're playing with so many guys you haven't played with before. There are some Cardinals prospects, and we'll get to that later. Right. But how much do you kind of measure yourself up with these guys? I mean, on one hand, they are your teammates. On the other hand, they are guys from other words that you are trying to compete with at the same time. Yeah, I mean, they're always competing, but we don't really think too much like that. Um, it's more of, you know, fun competitions. Like, uh, I think me and Lawler have, like, uh, uh, we, we, we go back and back. So we, he has two home runs, I have two home runs, and whenever, <laughs> uh, like, one of them hits, we get, like, we got to catch up to each other, you know what I'm saying? So um, he was ahead of me, and I caught up to him, and now he's going to, you know, try to get farther and farther away. So, you know, it's, it's little competitions like that. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good. Uh, we don't really like kind of, you know, take it too seriously, like putting ourselves up against each other. It's all in good fun. I feel like it's all in good fun. Yeah, no, for sure. And that Lawler competition does sound fun. And uh, right, I'm going to be right. paying attention to that. Right, when did absolutely. that start? Was that first day? Uh, no, it, it is, it is nothing crazy. Uh, just whenever one of us is a home run, we're just, you know, going back and forth with each other. That's about it. Um, but yeah, it, it started probably like, I think the first, Either first or second day when he hit his first home run, he's like, I got one up on you, man. And so it's just been fun. It's just been joking around and things like that. Yeah, no, that's a good way to approach the fall league. For sure, for year. sure, yeah. An extra six weeks at the end of the season. Absolutely. Um, well, speaking of that season, you know, you spent all your year this year at A Springfield, um, which was a, the next progression for you. You spent right. 2021 at, at low A and high A, right. but you're still young there. Um how would you assess how your 2022 season went at Springfield? Um, I think I think it went pretty well. Um, I met some goals that I set for myself. Um, and yeah, I I, I learned things that I uh, didn't really wasn't quite comfortable with in high and low A lat of the year before this year. Um, such as like pitch recognition, pitch counts, pitch sequencing. They did all those. All that was different in low and double A. Um, they you know could throw any pitch for in a strike at any count. So, you know, there was, you can never really eliminate anything. Um, so just I feel like learning that and that's how it's going to be in the league. And that's my dream to be in the league. So if I want to get to the league, I have to, you know, learn this now. And I feel like double A was a really good, you know, position for me to learn that. Yeah. What did you learn about the way guys were attacking them? 
Um, man, it was a, a lot of a lot of slow stuff down <laughs> at the beginning, and I felt like I got a lot better with it throughout the season. And I feel like I can pick up on it a little bit better. Not perfect yet, obviously. I think no one's perfect in you know hitting the baseball, but um, yeah, I feel like I've gotten a lot better with it. And they try to expose me down there, and I feel like a lot more confident confident with that. And then you know these guys throw pretty hard, so getting also ready for the velo as well. I'm ha- I'm pretty confident with that too. So you know it's just all learning. I'm all a process and then just putting the pieces together. Yeah. When you talk about specifically recognizing breaking stuff, um, is it more about learning to lay off that stuff or is it more about Mm -hmm. learning to actually hit it? Um, So I feel like both Um, learning like when it starts, where it starts out the pitcher's hand. Oh, that's going to be a ball. Or if I'm not looking for the breaking ball, but he gives me one to hit, still being able to hit it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a little bit of both, you know, and learning that aspect. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And um, what would you say was your personal highlight this year? Um, I feel like my walk-off home run with uh, my buddy Mason went on base. That was a pretty good feeling. So I'm going to go ahead and say that one. When, when did that come? Uh, that happened, I think, more towards the middle of the season. I think we were playing Corpus Christi at um, Hammonds Field. Uh, and I think we were down by – oh, it was a tie game. And the bottom of the ninth, and then I, I hit the walk-off home run. I think it was like a fastball in. Um, and then, like, having my teammates and us and celebrating together, um, having Mason on base, it was a really good feeling, you know, going through the whole process with Mason, you know, that, a feeling like that's, you know, something you don't feel every day. So, you know, it's it was a, it was a pretty good feeling. Yeah, and Mason is, is with you there in the fall league. Right. You guys have right, basically right. been yes. tied at the hip since he got Absolutely, Absolutely, yeah, for sure. What do you guys kind of talk like? What do, what do you guys do to keep that camaraderie going, that brotherhood going? Because you know, if everything works out, the Cards would love to have you guys together for the rest of your careers. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's more like just you know having the best friend. You know, what I mean, um, honestly, we don't talk about baseball all that much. We talk about video games a lot, a lot of two K. You know, joking around with each other. You know, um, you know, just 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 hanging out as friends. Um, nothing too complicated. And then we're on the baseball field, we do our thing together. But. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just off the field. Honestly, I can say we don't really talk about baseball too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. I, I like that idea of you guys playing right. 2K that much. Right. What's your? Right. Do you guys? Do you have a team you pick every time, or are you playing online? So no, we play online. We have we build our own players, and then we actually build the opposite of what we are. He builds a big man, and then I build <laughs> like. So you know, it's 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 all good fun and joking around and on the game, but uh, we get pretty competitive on there. So that's our thing that we do. Nice, nice. I like that idea of, of swapping right. personalities and uh, right, absolutely <laughs> treating a video game to be what it is. All right, oh, yeah. uh, Jordan. One one thing that um, you know stood out to me at, at the tail end of the year, and this has continued in the fall league, is your move to the outfield. I remember talking right. to you in the spring, and you said you right. did a little bit of work last right. off season in the outfield, right. just trying to right. see what that was like. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the conversation like with the cards of saying, "Hey, now's the time we want you on the grass." Yeah, I mean, it was just uh, I was pulled into the office and um, they said, hey, we want to get you to get to do some work in the outfield. You're going to be playing outfield starting, you know, next week. And so they pulled me aside. Tiger's been really good with, you know, it was like our coach who's been really good with um, helping me out there, getting me adjusted out there. He took me out to get some fly balls, excuse me, before the uh, first game. I think we were playing Corpus Christi again, uh, the Astros affiliation. Mm-hmm. When I was first, when I first had moved out to the outfield, um, so before the game, I took like in like an hour for you know, just uh, thirty minutes of you know fly balls and you know reading low line drives, um, like 
grounders into the outfield, getting him a good throwing position, tracking the ball. Um, so he took me out there, but like my teammates, uh, Chad, uh, Chase Pender, uh, Justin Turner, and Mike Antico have been also really beneficial with me out there. They're the ones out there with me pretty much every day Those in the season. And Antico's still out here out with me um, every day in the fall league. Mm -hmm. um, you know, helping me with my outfield, giving me tips every day. So having those guys around, you know, uh, really do help, um, you know, me get adjusted to the, the outfield. What, what do you feel like was the most difficult trick part of that transition? going from third base where you have to be on your toes all the time, I imagine. Right. right. I think it's the, the how being so far away from the plate and then trying to track the ball off the bat. Um, the reads are tough. Um, and I'm getting – I feel like I'm getting better, but I, at the beginning they are really, really tough. Um, and then just getting a good jump. So I feel like that's the toughest part about being in the outfield. Yeah, and they've moved you around too. Like you, you're not just playing left or center or right. You're getting experience everywhere. Everywhere, you know, and I like it like that. You know, I want to be able to be able to play – um anywhere in the, in the league, you know, give myself a little bit more versatility. So I like being able to, you know, try all these different positions and then, you know, figure out how to play all of them. Yeah. And how do you keep track of, of all that? Because not only are you trying to get right. used to get reading the ball out the bat, but it's different reading it from right to left to even right. center. Right. You know, and I'm, you know, it's definitely a task, but uh, I feel like, you know, just at the end of the day, you got to catch the ball and try to get the runner out. Um, and if I feel like as, if I keep it as simple as, you know, that statement right there, then I'll be able to be OK, a pretty good outfielder yeah. um, in, the, in the MLB. So, yeah, what I wanted to ask is, like, what do you feel about your game? You know, we talked about what's tough about the move right. to the outfield. What about your game translates best out there? Um, honestly, I think I have a pretty good arm. Um, so I feel like just I have a lot of fun trying to throw guys out. And even if I don't get them, I have fun trying to throw them out. So I feel like that's the part of the game that translates best out there, or that's the part of the game I enjoy, whatever you want to say, um, in the outfield is trying to throw runners out. Right. Yeah. Now, do you ever like how much do your eyes light up when you see a guy trying to go, <laughs> go first to third? Like, how does that they do? They, I mean, they light up just heavy, you know, and they're not always on target. I have to admit, but you know, <laughs> just the joy, the joy from trying to get them out is what I enjoy best. Yeah. And how do your arm workouts change? Do they change mm -hmm. at all? Cause third base is a spot where you need your arm too, but it's a right. different throwing motion. I would imagine. Right. It's, it's actually a lot different. I was working with Mason actually, um, uh, it's like the, the throw from third is more of like a shorter arm action, but like in, in outfield, you have a little more time. Um, trying to try to throw them out, so you have to like wind your arm up a different way. And so, when I first got moved up to outfield, I it took me like a week to get my that arm motion to where I want it to be. So, you know, um, it is definitely different out there. And if if they ask like tomorrow, could you go to third base? Would you just be ready to show? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like I can, I can switch in between pretty, you know, pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you had that conversation, you were talking about getting pulled right. into the office and saying, hey, we want right. you to try outfield. Was right. Nolan Arenado's name said directly? No, I mean, no, it wasn't. And I, I honestly didn't think much of it. I was like, oh, cool. I'm play outfield. That's pretty much how I, I thought about it. You know, I didn't think anything about Nolan Arenado or anything like that. So are you so somebody who looks at a depth chart and tries to see how you can climb. I know it's still early in your career, but double A is pretty close. Right. Uh, honestly, um, honestly, I really just trust the Cardinals in all honesty. Um, I trust them. To, to, they know what they're doing um, and they know how they want to use players. And at the end of the day, I want to be in the MLB and I want to win a World Series. And I think that Nolan Arnott is a great third baseman for that to happen. And so wherever the Cardinals want to put me, um, 
I want to be a part of the, you know, that dream to, to earn a ring. So um, I, I didn't really think too much of it. And I think, you know, that's that's pretty much it. If I want to make the depth chart, I got to just be able to play anywhere and everywhere. So wherever they put me, I want to I want to do the best at it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we talk so much about your fielding here just because your hitting is so good. And we talked about that transition um, so far. But like as a double A player, that's where a lot of guys say they start to feel it and feel close right. to the majors after hitting right. 306 like you did during this year. OPS of 898. How close do you feel right now? Oh, I feel really close. You know, I, I feel like, you know, working really hard to get there. I mean, not obviously when I get there, I, I'm not going to stop working, but you know, it's just that extra adrenaline boost, you know, trying to get there, like, when is my time, you know, and I know it's all process and they have, you know, everything planned out for me and what they want for me. Um, but I, I, I can't lie. It's really exciting to be in this position right now and, you know, do my best and try to make the major league roster. Yeah. And what do you feel like is the next step for you to really prove that readiness then? Hmm. Um, I'm honestly, I'm not sure how many wrong guy to ask. Um, but <laughs> as of right now, all I can really do is just try to play my best game of baseball that I can. And that's what I'm really focusing on right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And I, again, I remember yeah. talking to you in the spring and you were a big <laughs> invite to spring training then. Got some time on that side. I'm sure that was an eye opening experience. Absolutely. It was wonderful. Different when you're going back to Palm Beach and Jupiter uh, this spring. Um, I really did enjoy I enjoyed last spring. Um, so I mean, I hope it's not too much different. Being able to see how the like up close and personal, how those major league guys go about their business and, you know, and be able to work with them. And that's really all I want to, you know, I want to gain knowledge. I want to gain experience from them in spring training. So I did a little bit of that last year and I hope to do a little bit more of that this year as well. Yeah, do you feel like it's going to be actually be fighting for a job? Because we've seen guys come up from double A. Now you went, like Michael Harris second came up straight from double A this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you enter next spring as like I could actually win a major league job or how are you going to approach that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm going in thinking, you know, I want to get a major league job. That's my dream. And I feel like if I just work as hard as I can, then I, I can, you know, prove that I, I deserve a major league spot. Um and, and that's, you know, that's my dream. That's my goal is to be on the major league team. So, you know, I'm doing everything I can to do that. Yeah. And are you somebody who allows yourself to envision what that first major league at bat's going to be like? Oh, all the time. All the time. I do it all the time. Think about like the crowd, being on the major league field. Um, really good team, really good team and teammates behind me, man. Um, so, yeah, I have to think about it all the time. Yeah, and how much do you guys talk about it as Cardinals minor leaguers, whether you're at the AFL now or or during your time at, at Springfield, knowing that the, the Cardinals have always given chances to their right. prospects? This is an organization oh. that really relies on homegrown guys. Absolutely, and I trust everything they do. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, we talk about, you know, all of us, we talk about getting to the league at some point. Um, um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's as simple as that. You know, what would this be like in the league? What would that be like in the league? I'm thinking about that a, a good bit, actually. But, um, yeah, we all do trust the Cardinals, and we know that they're going to give the opportunities if we prove that we deserve to be in the MLB. So, Yeah, in that way, were you a little surprised that you didn't get a promotion to, to Memphis this year? I know you were young for the level. It was great mm-hmm. to be in one place at one time. But right. It felt like you were hitting every month at Springfield. Oh, I mean, honestly, no. So, as I said, I trust what they're doing. So, you know, if they, if they didn't want me in Memphis, they didn't want me in Memphis for a reason. Um, and I was completely happy in double A, you know, anything to get, you know, I feel like double A and triple A are, are really close to the league. And I've seen some guys call up from double A as well. So, you know, I was like, oh, I can still get called up from double A at some point or things like that. So I honestly, I wasn't really too surprised because I have so much trust in the organization and I, and I trust what they do. Um, so, you know, when my time comes, it comes and I really can't control anything past that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how do you approach the AFL just in terms of getting extra work? Sometimes it's seen as the prospect finishing school. Sometimes it's an opportunity for guys to make up extra at-bats, but you got 461 at-bats this year. I mean, you got plenty of work. How do you approach just this extra six-week assignment? Oh, man, I'm, you know, I'm having – I process I'm having a good time. Definitely working a lot in the outfield, trying to get uh, acclimated in the outfield, trying to get better reads in the outfield. That's my main goal when I came here is outfield work. But mostly, man, I'm trying to have fun. I'm, I'm hanging out with these all these other um, prospects from other teams and things like that, you know, getting to know them, getting to know these other pitchers as well, um, just getting to know what's out there before maybe seeing them in the MLB at one point, you know, making new friends. It's, it's that simple, you know, nothing nothing more, more uh, exciting than that. Yeah, and was there anybody you were looking forward to either facing most or being a teammate mm-hmm. with most? Um, no, I uh, honestly didn't know who was out here at the beginning. Um, but you know, now that I, you know, I'm out here, I'm, I'm glad to be on this team and I'm glad to be facing these other pitchers from other teams. They're pretty cool. We get to hang out every once in a while as well. So, you know, yeah, that's pretty much my answer. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So has there been anybody who's opened your eyes then? Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of guys on our team, um, Barger, Veen, Lawler, um, some pitchers who just, I mean, throw hard good movement i can list goes on and on <laughs> of players you know um, parker meadows like they all all and on like of players that i think wow you know these guys are really good as well so you know i love the competition i love having good teammates behind me so you know yeah i, I think that's all river lineup is as deep as it gets in the afl right. um so it's been really fun to follow you guys all right well uh, well, end on this one, Jordan. You, you mentioned Mason Wynn a few times, and now you guys are really close off the field. You don't really talk about baseball that much, which I think is very healthy, and that's a great way to do it. Um, but what is something about Mason Wynn that either Cardinals fans or baseball fans at large don't really know? Like, what as close as you guys mm-hmm. are, like, what is everything? Is there something everybody should know about this guy? He's pretty. He's open guy. Um, he's a really open guy. Uh, so I don't think he's really. I think what you see is is what you're going to get from him. Um, let's see. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I can't tell you anything that I feel like people don't already know about him. He's a clown. <laughs> he's goofy. He likes joking around a lot. So, um, that's pretty much who he is, you know. He's pretty much the person he is. Yeah, I was going to say, there's not really much hiding when you throw 100 miles an hour across. Exactly, the exactly. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so we're, when you guys are playing NBA 2K, are you guys playing together? Is it co-op? Or oh, yeah, we're – so we make a we make a um we both each make a player, and we go to a we play with three other randoms in this thing called the wreck, and we go online and we play with against another team of five, so it's us on the same team like five v five, and then we pick up some other players. Sometimes uh, Tink Hintz plays with us. Um, you know, we we it's just you know it depends on who's on the game at at what point of the day. So what's your guys' record, or how are you guys? Doing uh, so far? We're actually pretty good. We're pretty good. We played. Um, <laughs> His, he's played a lot more than me. Um, I had some Wi-Fi issues when I was home. But uh, as of probably since we got here, we're probably like 50 and 7 or something like oh, that. Oh, jeez. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're pretty good. We're pretty good. So, mm. All right. Well, if there's anybody out there listening who's involved in NBA 2K and also sees yeah. Mason Witt and Jordan Walker, just Let us know. Worried. Let us know. <laughs> yeah. Let us know. Be worried. All right. Well, Jordan – you know, like we said before, top Cardinals prospect, top prospect in the Arizona Fall League. We were so glad to have you on this week. Best of luck, you know, going forward. Congrats on everything so far. And, yeah, we'll catch you down the road. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was a brief candle, the others come from the darkness of my imagination. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Kirksville Osteopaths. B. The Beverly Hills Dermatologists. C. The Hartsdale Cardiologists. If you took a holistic approach to the question, you saw A, the Kirksville Osteopaths, who, despite focusing on maintaining total bodily health, had a sickly existence and an early death. Playing in the Missouri State League from the season of 1911 until the season of, well, 1911, the Osteopaths represented the town in the northern part of the Show Me State where one could be shown the first school of osteopathic medicine now known as A.T. Stilled University in Kurtzville. All in all, the osteopaths played a total of 21 games, as the whole Missouri State League suffered a complete systemic failure and departed from the earthly realm less than a month after it began play. You could say it was a joint effort between entities that lacked the spine to keep going. But the osteopaths did succeed in extending the life of at least one game, requiring 20 innings to top the making athletics 2-1 on May 25. But that same day, symptoms of the circuit's poor health showed, as the Jefferson City team, which had already sought to heal a dangerously weak box office by moving from Sedalia, announced that it was taking a break until, as the Sedalia Democrat put it, more enthusiasm is manifested from the fans. The break lasted until the very bones of the league were broken, and beyond. The same newspaper, eulogizing the Missouri State League on June 4, wrote that it will go down in baseball history as one of the shortest-lived leagues ever organized anywhere. From the day it first opened until now, it has been in a rather shaky condition. Yet, the Kirksville osteopaths have displayed signs of life. For example, their Dave Kraft led the league in home runs with three. And they were managed by Center Rainey, whom Ghosts of the Miners listeners will remember as the skipper of the 1916 Hopkinsville Hoppers of the Kitty League. However, the well-being of a team depends not upon the strength of one or two parts, but on the stability of the whole and the habitat in which it operates. And that's why the osteopaths flatlined. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these teams was laughing its way to the bank in the miners of yesteryear? A. The Richmond Richmen. B. The Eureka Gold Grabbers. C. The Bangor Millionaires. Want to know the answer? Pay up, or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hale, is getting ready for hunting season, and I've got to help him hide his antlers. And that will do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. A huge thanks again to Nationwide Road to the Show Ambassador Jordan Walker for joining Sam 
And uh, big thanks to Sam for holding down the interview segment this week. Big thanks to Benjamin Hill and Josh Jackson for their time, as always. And our biggest thanks to you for tuning in. Uh, we'll catch you next week. I'm Tyler Vaughn. We'll see you then.